But Jesus says, however we treat the least of these, that's how we treat, we treat him. And so we're going to be talking about service. What does it look like to serve others? What does it look like to be like Jesus and how we serve? And I just want to start by praying because uh, I want to confess to you that this is an incredibly convicting topic, and I, I think it's a really dangerous topic to preach on because the Scriptures say that people who preach and talk a lot are held more accountable. And so whenever I come to a sermon like this, I feel even more accountable uh, because I can talk and make it sound like I know what I'm talking about, and you guys can all go away and think, oh, that preacher, like he really, what a servant heart. But God sees what really goes on, and he sees my weaknesses, and it is a convicting thing to talk about something so serious. And so I'm going to pray um, just that we'd hear Jesus today, and that we would be, uh, not just hear him, but we'd be empowered by his Holy Spirit to live in a way that honors him. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Lord, uh, thank you for how you challenge us in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for this sermon series we're in about spiritual formation. We, as a church, as a congregation, we want to know what it actually looks like to live for you in everyday moments, not just what we hear about on a Sunday, but with the way we live on a Wednesday morning and a Thursday night and a Saturday afternoon. We want to, we want to actually practice this Christian faith. And so just help us to hear you today. And I just pray, Lord, that all of us this morning would sense your presence. More than anything else, I pray that we'd have a sense of your presence here uh, and your peace with us. We look to you, we love you, and we welcome you today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to open with a story uh, that is going to introduce this topic. And I almost, like I debated not sharing this story. Uh, One of the things that I learned when I actually studied preaching was don't tell stories very often where you're the hero, because if you do that, it makes people think that you're this like spiritual superstar, and, and you can make it sound like you're better than you are. Um, and so uh, I was just cautious, cause, and, I, and I hope I tell enough stories where you see my weaknesses and my flaws, because I have a lot of them, okay? Um, but I want to tell you a story where God actually taught me about this topic, and, uh, and it, was a, it was a really humbling experience. And it might sound to you like, oh, it's this really spiritual thing, but I want you to know um, that I battle with selfishness in my heart, and I battle with being judgmental at times, being critical. Um, But if you're a Jesus follower, God will challenge you to be more like Him. And so we're going to talk about service, and uh, service is when you, you serve other people the way Jesus modeled, when He washed the feet of His disciples, He took the job of a slave. And so... A uh, number of years ago, I was, it was before I went to Bible school, but I was, I was doing a bit of traveling and preaching, and I was a couple hours from uh, my city, and I was at a different church, and I was preaching that morning, and uh, the service was just really powerful. There were some people in the room uh, that God had set free. They had, they had worked the street as, uh, as prostitutes, and they were in the service, and, and God had done this incredible miracle in their lives, and I was preaching, and, and one of them was sharing their testimony, and I just remember in the service, like, I started crying. Like, I was up preaching, and I just was, I was weeping, and I just had this incredible sense of God's presence. It was a powerful service. Uh, and so, my team and I, after the Sunday service, we drove back to Moncton, which was a couple hours away from where the service was, got back, and uh, a couple days later, I got a phone call from a lady who was in that service, and she knew that I was from Moncton. And uh, I think the pastor had given my number to her, and she said, because she said, can I get a hold of this, this guy that was preaching? I know he's in Moncton, and I, and I have a friend of a friend who's in trouble, and I'm going to ask if he can go help. 
And so she got my phone number. She called me and she said, hey, can you, uh, I think it was like her brother-in-law or a friend of a brother-in-law that she knew was in trouble. She said, can you go check on this guy? Uh, I'll call him Trevor. And so I said, sure, I'll go check on him. And his, his, uh, his story was that he was almost paralyzed from the neck down. He had a little bit of movement in his left hand, and he was in one of those electric wheelchairs, and he had just enough movement that he could kind of get around, but he couldn't move very much. And his partner and him had gotten in a fight, and she left him. And so by the time that I got to his apartment, um, he had been 26 hours in his chair, and he couldn't move. Like, he was literally paralyzed. Um, he was about 6'2", but he was down to about 85 pounds. And when I walked in, like, I, like it was clear that he was malnourished, he wasn't doing well, he wasn't being taken care of, and he needed help. And so on the spot, I had to learn how to, like, how to change him because he had zero movement. And it was something that I, like, I had zero training for. Um, it was one of the craziest experiences of my life because for about a week straight, um, I would go to his house in the morning to make sure that he got up out of bed, that he was dressed, that he was changed, that he was ready for the day, put him in his chair. Literally, like, this guy was in his 50s, and, and I was able to pick him up like I could pick up a, a child because like, he, he had you know, lost that much weight. And so morning and evening, I was there with this guy for a week until we were able to get him some, some help and some care, and, and they were able to come back in. And uh, you know what was crazy about that experience? This is probably I don't, 12 years ago now. But I felt like what God was teaching me was that, so this, this service that I had been in, where there was just a really powerful move of God, like you could sense God's presence, like to me, that was like the height. That was like, that's what ministry was back in those days in my mind, was just like getting to be at a, a really powerful service where you could sense God's presence. And what God challenged me with when I, when I found this guy that was in lots of trouble and, and went into to his house to help him. I felt like what God was saying to me was, Nathan, this is what service looks like. Like, you think being on a stage, you think preaching the Bible um, is this really great thing. Well, I felt like what God was saying to me was, in my kingdom, that's like, that's okay. It's great to, to preach the Bible. But if you can't serve people the way Jesus serves people, you're not following me. Like, that, that, was, that was the message that I felt like God was, was saying to me, was, was He was saying, this is what I'm this is what I'm calling you to. If, like, if you're truly going to serve me, if you're truly going to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. There's a verse going to be on the screen uh, in Galatians. It's one of my favorite verses because of how blunt it is. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Just let that sink in for a second. I, I don't know about you, but I love the scriptures because of how blunt they are. And, and we get these ideas, and maybe, maybe it's just me. I sometimes get th- this idea in my head of my own importance, you know, or that, that I'm somehow the center of the universe, the center of the world, and I'll come across a passage of Scripture like this, and I know that it's true. And God isn't saying this to be judgmental or to be condemning, but He's saying this to say, if you really, truly want to be my follower, if you want to have my heart, it'll show by the way that you love other people, right? And so just to start us off on this this topic of service this morning, just hold this this verse, this passage in your heart. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Here's the definition of service. Service is a way of offering resources, time, 
treasure, influence, and expertise for the care, protection, justice, and nurture of others. Acts of service give hands to the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So at the very heart of the Christian gospel is service. So we, we don't get to God by serving other people. So you, you don't, like, even if you had gone out yesterday and raised $20,000 for Grace Place so that you could help people that are homeless have a place to live, that's not going to earn you some standing with God, okay? You can't, you can't serve your way into God's kingdom. You can't earn your way into God's love. But what the gospel says is if you've truly been touched by Jesus, if your heart has been changed, if you've encountered Him, you can't not serve other people. So service, the way we love other people, the way we care for them, it's, it's evidence that God has done something in our lives and in our heart. So if, if you're listening this morning and as we read this passage of Scripture, if God is convicting you and you're thinking, man, I don't serve people the way Jesus wants me to serve, what I would encourage you not to do, don't go away from here and think, man, I better start serving so I can earn God's love. Go away from here saying, God, have, have I truly understood what you've done for me? Because I would say if, if, if you're not serving Jesus the way He teaches for us to serve, it's probably because you haven't fully understood what He's done for you. When we come to an understanding of what God has done for us, we can't help but show love to other people. We can't help but show grace. It just will come out of you naturally. If you find yourself not showing grace for other people, if you find yourself not serving willingly, then run to God and say, God, help me to understand what it is that you've done. Because when that understanding comes into your mind and heart, you can't not serve and love other people. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 35 to 45. This will be on the screen. And this is, this is a, an interesting passage of Scripture because Jesus is teaching His followers about who He is. And they have a, they have a misunderstanding about who Jesus is. They, they get some things confused. And Jesus, in this passage, is setting the record straight. He, he wants His followers to actually understand not only who He is, but what it means to be His follower. So, Mark chapter 10, starting verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to Him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. And they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, remember, Jesus had 12 followers. That was the kind of inner group. And then there was like 72 others, and there was, there was lots of people that, that followed. So I just want you to just imagine the ripple effects of James and John's request, okay? So the other followers, they heard about this. James and John go to Jesus, and they're like, hey, we, we want you to do us a favor, Jesus. Jesus, come here, Jesus. They're like pulling away from the rest of the crowd, right? Like, can we be the guys that sit on your right and left, right? So what they're asking is like, can we be over top of all the other friends of ours that are following? Like, we want to be like in those places of honor. We want you to do what we want, okay? So you, you can imagine that this would have ripple effects on, on the rest of the crowd. In verse 38, it continues, Jesus, but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink? from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. 
God has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, which you can imagine. So Jesus called them together and said, and so now, so the the crowd, okay, so the the other disciples, they're indignant because they hear about James and John's request. And James and John are asking, "Can can we be the top dogs? Can we be your besties? Can we help you call the shots. We want to be close to the shot caller so that we can influence you and, and have, you know, dominance over everybody else. And so Jesus, so now there's like kind of a fight breaking out amongst the followers of Jesus. They're angry at each other. They're jealous. They're jockeying for power and position. And so Jesus calls them together. And this, is, this lesson that he gives is as applicable today, 2,000 years later, as it was when Jesus spoke those words. These words are timeless. He says, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Have you seen that in your workplace, in your family? When somebody has a position of power, do they like to flaunt that position of power and let you know who's in charge? Do you like to flaunt a position of power to say, I'm in charge? Is there this desire for people in power to kind of flex that a little bit, right? So Jesus acknowledges that. He says, in the world, you see this all the time. People who've got power, they flaunt it. They flex it. They want people to know. But then he, he sets, he's setting the tone different. He says, but among you, it will be different. And, and notice the authority Jesus speaks with. He says, if you're going to be my followers, he doesn't say, it should be different. I hope it'll be different. He says, no, it will be. If you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be a part of my community, it will be different. It will not look like the way that it looks like in the world. Jesus speaks with a spiritual authority that they'd never seen before. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, His teaching in this section of Scripture with these followers is so radically different than anything they'd ever heard. And, and honestly, it's different than what most of us here today in the world. Jesus says, if, if you want to be a leader in my kingdom, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to be willing to serve and do the job of a slave. We mentioned it last week. Jesus, when He's with His followers, He gets down on His knees and He takes the job of the lowest slave. He washes their feet. Like, this is a theme that runs all the way through the life and ministry of Jesus. He's, he realizes, Jesus knows, He is establishing the Christian church. I believe Jesus, 2,000 years ago, had you and I in mind today, Transformation Church in Thunder Bay. And what He was saying is He, he wanted to set the tone. He wanted the foundation to be set properly. He was saying, if you want to be a leader in my church, you've got to be a servant. Because what Jesus desires not to happen is for this, for this same worldly attitude to be amongst His followers where it's like we try to flex and flaunt power and authority and dominate over other people. Jesus is saying, no, the higher you climb in the kingdom of God, it's kind of the lower in a sense because you become more of a servant. The, the, more, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the throne, the more you become a servant. And Jesus used Himself as an example of that. And He's, he's God in the flesh. It's interesting that... Uh, James and John, I don't know if you, you picked this up as we read it, but they, they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, when, when you come into your, your kingdom, like, we want to be on your right and your left. 
right? We want to, we want to, we want to be on either side of you when you're in your glory, right? So they had this picture of being close to power. But when Jesus died on the cross, do you remember that he was in the middle of two thieves? Like Jesus, when he, when he dies on Golgotha, on Skull Hill, he dies in this, this place of shame. He's got two basically terrorists on either side of him. You've got the, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that willingly stepped into suffering in order to save you and I. And he was, he was subjected to like open scorn, and he would have been looked down on by the world, by the masses. And Jesus was saying to James and John, he's saying, you don't realize what you're asking. If you really want to be on my right and left, you're stepping into a place where you're going to be looked down on by the world. It's like this willingness to step into suffering. He's saying, do, do you, can you, can you ask that with authenticity? And then Jesus says to them, he says, and by the way, yes, you will which I think is a really encouraging comment that Jesus makes in this passage of Scripture because he says, because he knows they're going to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. For anybody, and this, maybe it sounds daunting and you're thinking, well, I don't really want to take a climb in the kingdom of Jesus because I don't really like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of serving that way. I don't like the sound of being scorned or, or looked down on. But you know what was coming is Jesus knew what was coming is that he was going to give us his Holy Spirit that would enable us to live in a way that honors Him and glorifies Him. So if it sounds kind of crazy, if it sounds daunting, just know that God promised to give us His Holy Spirit. But if we're going to grow closer to Jesus, if we're going to walk that line, we're actually going to become more servant-like. James and John also, uh, and, and we've talked about this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but James and John also had political motivations. And, and it's, it's very important to, to bring this out, especially today in this context, because we see this today, 2,000 years later, as much as we see it happening back then. But James and John and the other disciples, they had political motivations. They, they were under Roman occupation. They were, they were Jews that were under oppression of another dominant, powerful empire. And their political motive, they saw Jesus and they had this hope. They're like, man, Jesus, you could, you could make Israel free. You could make our laws the laws that govern the land. You could change the course of history. And don't we see the same thing today with like some of the fighting that happens within Christianity in, here in North America where people have political motivations? And, and, you, and you think, you know, for, for some groups, it's almost like if they had power, they would use the Bible, they would use their, this the faith in Jesus, as they call it, for political gain and political motivation. And that's what was happening here. And Jesus is looking at his followers. He's saying, no, that's not how the gospel gets used. You don't, we don't get to use the gospel. We don't get to use our relationship with Jesus to control people politically. Jesus was saying, we become willing to serve even our enemies, right? So Jesus is correcting their, their thinking. He's correcting their thoughts. He's saying, this, this truth that I'm giving you, this, this power that I'm giving you, isn't a power that you get to use to, to be dominant and to be oppressive over. It's a power that I'm giving you that liberates you so that even when you are oppressed, you serve willingly and you, you give yourself uh, sacrificially to God and, and in love and service for others. It's this radical shift. And so Jesus is correcting even their, their false political desires and motives. Listen to this, this next quote, and Jacob, you can put this up. The, the way, this is from a, a commentary on this passage of Scripture, the way to privileged position in the messianic kingdom is not by grabbing for power, 
but by relinquishing it through suffering and death. I'm just going to read that one more time. The way to privileged position in the messianic kingdom is not by grabbing for power, but by relinquishing it through suffering and death. This is, this is a really important point as we talk about service. Because the, de- the desire Jesus has for you and I is not that we become powerful in terms of how the world thinks about power, but that we would become powerful in the kingdom of Jesus, where we are so liberated that we are liberated and freed by God even to love our enemies, even to love the people that mistreat us horribly. You know, that's been one of the biggest testimonies of the Christian faith is that Jesus' followers that that are oppressed, that are treated horribly, are able to love with the love of God even their oppressors, even the people that have treated them horribly. To to give another example, the the famous story in Luke, Jesus tells a story about the, the Good Samaritan. And you're all pretty familiar with the story. It's a story about a guy who's walking on a road, he gets beat up and left for dead, right? And, and uh, a priest walks by, a Levite walks by, and then a Samaritan. And, and the Samaritan's the one that helps him. Well, how that plays out in today's context, Jesus, the story he's telling about the Good Samaritan, this guy, he's, he's left for dead on the road, and you get a priest who represents a pastor, okay? And, and he walks up and he sees this guy, and, and he knows that, you know, the pastor's got all these responsibilities and things he's doing for God, and he just doesn't have time to help that person who's in need. So he he justifies it and goes, well, I've got to go serve in the temple, and if I touch him, I'll be made unclean, and so he just walks on by, right? And then you've got the the Levite, so he's like the the worship leader, be like Justin and Lauren. I don't think they would do this, so I'm not saying they would walk by the guy (laughs) getting beat up, okay? But that's what the Levite represents. It's the worship leader, and they're like, man, I got to get to church on time, and I'm leading worship this morning, and so there's this guy that's, you know, in need, and they just walk on by. And then the Samaritan comes, and he sees this person who's suffering, and he takes money out of his own pocket, he takes time that he doesn't have, and he just sacrificially serves this person. And, and the story of the Good Samaritan would have been radical in Jesus' day because Samaritans didn't have the right theology. The priests and the Levites had all the right beliefs. So the people in the crowd listening to Jesus' story, they would have been uncomfortable because they're like, why are you making the Samaritan the good guy? And you're making the priests and the Levites the bad guys. And, and the emphasis Jesus is making, and this theme carries all the way through his ministry, he's trying to get people to understand. He's like, if you're going to be a part of my church, if you're going to be my follower, then it will be proven by the way you love other people. That's why he takes the Samaritan and makes him the good guy in the story. Jesus isn't saying that all the Samaritans' beliefs are right. He's not, he's not saying it's okay to have bad theology, but he's saying the way that guy served, that's how you're supposed to serve in my kingdom. I don't, I don't know about you, but like as, a, as a preacher, that story about the Good Samaritan, this whole theme about service, I find it really convicting because it's, it's easy to get up on a, on a stage and preach the Bible and look spiritual. But when I think about the message of the gospel that Jesus is communicating here, he would say to me, Nathan, I don't care if you get up and sound really spiritual by talking about the Bible. If you ignore the people that are truly in need, you're not serving me. And he would say the same to all... Like, we, we can come to church and we can, we can celebrate when, when God's Word is being preached, but what Jesus is saying, if we walk by and don't do anything for those that God leads us to help, if we don't treat the least of these well with love and, 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 and respect, He would say, you're not following 
me. If you've truly experienced Jesus, you will serve, and it'll show in how you love people. So I want to give you this. Uh, this, this has been something I've thought about, and if you read the email, you, you, uh, you pick this up. But in the book of Mark, especially, and we talked about study, and we talked about meditation recently, and one of the suggestions I gave to people was to t- take a, a gospel like Mark or Luke or Matthew and just read it in one sitting. Like, just take two hours and just read the whole thing and, and just say, God, what are you saying through this, uh, through this gospel account? What is it you're speaking? In the book of Mark, you'll notice Jesus, more, more than in the other three gospels, Jesus constantly tries to keep his identity a secret. And so scholars and theologians have written about this, and, and they call it the messianic secret. Jesus, like, even when he talks to Peter, back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and he says, you know, who do the crowds say that I am? And, and they all give different answers, like, oh, they, you know, some people think you're Elijah, some people think you're one of the prophets. And Jesus looks at his followers, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, and he says, well, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus, it's so bizarre, he says, don't tell anybody. Now, if you've been here, if you've been around church a long time, have you ever, like, has it ever, like, come up all, all the time where the pastor will say, don't tell people about Jesus? Is that, like, a common, is that a common thing? Or do you feel the pressure to, like, tell everybody about Jesus, right? Like, we kind of get pressured to do that a lot, right? And so I thought it was weird. I'm reading through Mark. I'm like, Jesus, why do you keep telling people to keep it a secret? Are we getting it wrong in the, like, are we supposed to not tell anybody about Jesus or something? Like, what's happening? Because it, it happens a lot in Mark. He's like, like, hush, hush, don't say anything. Don't tell people about me. It's the messianic secret. Have you ever, maybe you've not thought about the messianic secret. Why is Jesus trying to keep things a secret? You know, I, I, I believe I know what, why he did that, okay? And, and, and if you want to do some study and you want to argue and say that I'm wrong, I encourage you to be a Berean, okay? But I'm going to just, like, put myself out there, and I'm going to tell you, I think I know why Jesus tried to keep his identity a secret for a long time before his, before his death and resurrection, in Mark, you see it very clearly. Um, what we just read this morning was Jesus' third prediction about his death. And you know what? The reason he wanted to keep his identity a secret is because he knew that he was raising up his disciples and they were going to establish the church. They were going to go out, they were going to take the message of the gospel, and they were going to spread it to the whole world, and churches were going to be planted all over the world. Someday in Thunder Bay, Ontario, okay, 2,000 years later, Jesus knew he was... He was prepping this, this group of people that were going to expand the message of the gospel. And the messianic secret, Jesus did not want them going out with this idea that, that they could use power in a selfish way. Like the messianic secret, the reason Jesus did not want people to tell uh, others about him right away is because he wanted his followers to understand, if you're truly going to be people who proclaim my message, you have to be willing to suffer and serve. And until they understood that, Jesus said, don't say anything. You watch it in in the book of Mark. Whenever Jesus talks about his death, he would always talk about suffering and and this this suffering that was coming and how he served other people. And so what Jesus is saying is, unless you understand that, unless you uh, live out what it means to, to suffer willingly for Jesus and to serve other people, don't proclaim this gospel message. Because to truly be changed, to truly believe the gospel isn't about power and it isn't about dominance. It's about this willingness to say, God, may your will be done, not mine. That's, that's the messianic secret. There's more to it, 
it, it's, it's a really fascinating thing to study, but, but I believe at the heart of it, that's why Jesus was withholding His identity, because He wanted the gospel message to be proclaimed by people who actually lived it out in the way they served others, and the way that they're willing to suffer. This week, uh, it was really cool. I didn't realize it until yesterday, uh, but Friday night, um, it was Justin and Jeremy, and Alyssa was, Alyssa was there, uh, hosted, I don't owe you any money, Alyssa, though, because you're not uh, one of my kids. This, this whole, some of you know about it, whenever I mention one of my kids in a sermon, I owe them $5 if I didn't ask for permission, and Alyssa always reminds them. Even if they're not in there, she'll text them. So, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Friday night, uh, there was a, a volunteer appreciation night at Northwind, and so I got to sit in a room with a whole bunch of people that serve on a regular basis because they just want to show the love of Jesus. And then yesterday, uh, the Grace Place walk, there was, how many volunteers were there at the walk? 72 people volunteered, and there was 320 walkers, 326 walkers. And so that's like over 400 people yesterday that were just showing up to serve and to love in the name of Jesus for a ministry that does incredible things for God. And, and many of you were at both of these, these different events. And, and you know what? Like, that is at the heart of what Jesus is saying. And, and my desire, my heart for us as a, as a church and as a community is that we would actually be people that are like Jesus on, on Monday afternoon and Saturday night, not just on a Sunday where we worship, but that, but that our, our hearts have been so changed by Him that when, it's time, when it comes time to serve at a place like Northwind or Grace Place or at Teen Challenge or at the jail, that we're like, yeah, that's what it means to live for Jesus. I'm just going to serve because that's who Jesus is and that's who he's called me to be. Here's, I want to give this, uh, this, this little picture uh, and then I'm going to close the passage of Scripture. But you can put this next picture up, Jacob. And I've mentioned this before, but I just, I have to mention it again. Do you know who these two women are? Who are they? Princess Di and Mother Teresa. Uh, I couldn't not use this, this illustration. I shared it a couple years ago. Um, but Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, they both died a week apart. Okay, so uh, I think it was 1997 uh, when they died. And it was within a week of each other. And I, I heard, I was listening to a podcast a couple years ago, and the podcaster was talking about serving. He's talking about what it looked like to serve Jesus. And he drew a comparison between Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, and he said, Princess Diana, she kind of like, she's the epitome of what people desire. She's like the epitome of beauty. You know, she's royalty. She's rich. People kind of do whatever she says, but she also did some really great things. She helped a lot of people. Uh, but what this podcaster was talking about, he said, the, the, the chances of you or I being Princess Diana are like one in a million or one in a billion, okay? Like, they're really, really low. But then he talked about Mother Teresa and how she just gave her life to serve other people. There's stories of Mother Teresa crawling through uh, dumps and ditches and garbage cans, rescuing babies that were on the verge of death and nursing them back to help. She's, there's, there's Mother Teresa homes for the dying all over the world. When I went to Haiti a few years ago, I had an opportunity to serve in uh, one of Mother Teresa's home for the dying. I sat with a man... Uh, that had tuberculosis, and I was sitting on his bed with this retired doctor. This guy was retired from the state somewhere. He was in his mid, mid to late 70s, and when he retired, he decided he was going to go serve in Mother Teresa's home for the dying, and uh, he was just going to give his life to, to serving other people. And I was sitting there 
uh, this young guy, and I was afraid I was going to catch tuberculosis because I was sitting on the bed of this guy that had TB. And this doctor, I don't know if he picked it up and knew that I was nervous, but he looked at me and he smiled and he's like, I've had tuberculosis a couple times now. It's not that bad. And I was like, I was like, what? Like, I don't know what, like how he beat it or whatever, but he just like had this joy about him and he was serving this person that was probably, I don't know, had weeks to live. It was a, it was a home for the dying. You don't get into Mother Teresa's home for the dying unless you're at your very last stages of life. It was incredible. And there's these homes all over the world. And this podcaster, he, he, put, he, he talked about these two women. He said, he said, one in a million of us, maybe one in a billion, could ever be like Princess Diana. He said, but every single one of us can be like Mother Teresa. Isn't that a convicting thought? Like all of us, if we say yes to Jesus and we say yes to serving, nothing is stopping us from doing what Mother Teresa did. We could all spend our lives wishing we could be like Princess Di and never getting there right? The lottery just doesn't fall in our favor. But all of us, according to to the scriptures, um, can be like Mother Teresa in that we will say, Jesus, I will serve the people that you've called me to serve. I'm going to give my life to that. Maybe hearing this, you're like, well, I don't want to do that. Begin by saying, God, help me to want it. Help me to desire to do what you want. I'm going to read a a, a scripture and then I'll I'll share the practices. This last slide before the scripture, though, Jacob, a Jesus follower is someone who serves others like Jesus. Let me read in Matthew, uh, there's another passage where Jesus is talking about this same theme, and he's talking about what it looks like to be his follower. In Matthew chapter 7, it's on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, he says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions." Jesus' warning here is he's saying, he's talking about these false prophets. There's, there's lots of people who can talk the talk, but don't live it. And Jesus warned about that in this famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and all throughout his teaching. He's saying, you know, it's, it's not just about being able to say the right things or, or say that you believe the right truth. What, how you'll know if somebody believes the gospel, how you'll know if somebody's been transformed by Jesus, you'll see it in their lives. It'll be obvious by the way people live their lives. And, and here's what I want to end us with, okay? Don't hear this and look to other people and say, is this person real or false? Just internalize it with me today. God, am I living this out? Like, do I serve people the way you talk about serving people? Do I serve the least of these? Or do I desire selfish things? Do I desire things for me? Does the world revolve around me in some way? And, and, and the, the point of going through this uh, series together, spiritual formation, and talking about these disciplines is we're asking the question of Jesus, what does it look like to actually live for you day in and day out? And, and the discipline that's highlighted this week is this discipline of service. And, and here's the, uh, I'm going to, we'll put up this last slide, and, and if you're challenged by what we're talking about today, if God is speaking to you in any way, I just want to encourage you, take one or two 
or all of these, if you really want to challenge yourself this week, uh, and, and actually practice them. So walk the talk, uh, be who you profess to be, become a volunteer at Grace Place, Northwind, at the prison, at Teen Challenge, at the Youth Center. There's people in this room that are involved in all those different ministries. If you want to volunteer and say, Lord, I want to serve people that, that uh, you're calling me to serve, you know, put your hand up and say, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll actually step out and do it. Uh, serve somebody and don't tell anyone. It's part of the reason I was felt a, a little bit conflicted with this sermon this morning. I wanted to share an example, um, but I think it's also important to do things for God, for other people, and don't tell a soul. Just do it because God sees you, not because anybody else will. Invite a homeless person out for a meal. You know, sometimes we see people that are asking for money, um, and may, maybe, maybe you're somebody who gives money on a regular basis. Maybe you're hesitant to do so. Um, but maybe, maybe you and a friend just say, hey, can, I, can we take you to Subway? Just go have a meal with somebody. That would be really uncomfortable for some, but you'd be surprised at what God would do in the context of a conversation like that. I remember one time I was traveling with my dad. We were like traveling across Canada for something, and there was a guy asking for money, and it was on this busy street, and there was a restaurant nearby, and he said, why don't you come have a meal with us? So we just sat down and had a meal with him. Well, that like changed my, my, my thinking on, on what it looks like to befriend people, to show the love of Jesus. Invite an immigrant family to your house for a meal. Do you know that most of Jesus' ministry happened around a table with food? All the time. Like, Jesus, ta- we talked about fasting a while ago, and a lot of you felt bad that you were going to eat after supper or after the service that day. Well, yes, fasting is important. It's, it's important for us to take that time with God, but eating with other people is important too, especially with people you might not like. That happened a lot in the Gospels. Advocate for somebody who can't advocate for themselves. You can't do this one this week. Well, actually, you probably could. Mow your neighbor's lawn uh, while they're not home. Maybe this is a good week to do it. You know, the lawn's not going to be super long and might be still a little bit of snow. But, but the point is, like, put into practice this, this uh, uh, spiritual discipline of service. And while you're doing it, say, Jesus, change my heart. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. We're going to close with a few songs. And uh, I'm going to pray before, before they do. And uh, I just want to emphasize again, if, if, you've not, if you're listening to this and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, just know this. Jesus came and served you. Jesus came and willingly suffered for you and I while we were still His enemies, while we were still caught up in ourselves, while we were still caught up in evil and, and horrible things and wickedness. He came and served us. And so, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, today, today is the day. Invite Christ into your life, into your heart. Surrender to Him. But if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus and you're convicted by this, Maybe the, the idea, the thought of serving is a really scary thought, and you're like, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't, know. I don't even want to do that. I would encourage you to pray, pray the prayer saying, God, help me to become willing to do the things you want me to do. Like, make me willing. A- ask him to, to give you that desire, to give you that willingness, and then watch for how he brings an opportunity your way to step up and to serve someone. But let's, and, and I, I want to acknowledge too, we are, I, I'm encouraged by, by you. I'm encouraged by the way that, that you serve, and uh, I hope that it is always a part of who we are as a, as a community of people in this city, that yes, we believe Jesus. We believe the Scriptures to be true. We believe uh, what, what the Scriptures say are true and right and pure and holy, but we live it out in such a way that it has an impact on our community and neighborhood and our city. Um, and so I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll close with these, these few songs. Let's just stand together if you're, if you're able.
Lord, I just uh, thank you for your word, and I thank you, God, for how you challenge us in the Scriptures with what it looks like to serve you. Jesus, you spoke truths that were hard to hear 2,000 years ago, and they're hard to hear today. And Lord, for, for all of us that are listening today that are challenged, and we, maybe we look at our lives and we go, I don't serve people the way Jesus talks about serving people. Lord, if we're, if for any of us that are convicted, uh, Lord, would you just speak words of encouragement and remind us what you've done for us and give us the desire to serve others the way that you've served us and the way that you've loved us, Lord. And Lord, if there's people here today that, that have not surrendered their lives to you, Jesus, may they hear your voice calling them into relationship with yourself. And Lord, I also pray that we would continue to be a community of people that actually take your word seriously. We don't, we don't just sing about it. We don't just agree with it and nod our heads on a Sunday. But when we leave this place uh, on a Sunday afternoon and then into the rest of the week, that we would actually just serve you. That when we're at work and there's that person we don't like, that we would serve them and show them the love and grace you've called us to, to, to show. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that actually put into practice your truth and your way of life. We love you, God. I pray for your blessing and peace to be upon us. And even as we sing these songs, may we continue to sense your peace and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.